So in today's episode, we're gonna dive into some really nitty gritty technical aspects of the laws of Tuma and Tara, or ritual impurity. While it might not all be so practical, it's still really important to- Whoa, 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 buddy, what do you think you're doing? Uh, I'm recording today's episode. No, 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 dude, it's Purim tomorrow. I mean, you can't just talk about some abstract subject at a time like this. Come on, man, I mean, I've got a whole schedule to keep to over here. I mean, I can't just drop the regular program just to do talk about some holiday. I'm, I'm sorry, did you, just, did you just say some holiday? All right, buddy, listen, step aside, okay? We've got some serious things to discuss on this show. Are, are you serious? You know what? I can't do this, okay? You wanna talk about Purim? Be my guest. I'm out of here. Yeah, you know what, okay? I will. It would be my honor. There we go. Now that's more like it. <laughs> Ladies and gents, seriously speaking, we've got some real things to discuss here, standing one day before Purim. Let's talk about what really matters. The holiday of Purim, and what it's supposed to teach us. And I've got to tell you, there really isn't much more to talk about that's more important than Purim itself. And I'll tell you why. You know, the rabbis tell us that Purim is eternal, timeless. It goes beyond everything else. It's true. So check this out. But first, you've got to understand how the Torah presents holidays in general. You know, for most of the world, holidays are these days where, you know, we take off work, we relax at home. If there's some significant event or something like that which happened way back in the past on the same date, you know, in the calendar, maybe we'll take a moment to remember it, you know, and appreciate the great things that happened. Could we do the same thing on some other day instead of today? Well, yeah, sure. But, you know, it's more intuitive to think about and celebrate that day's events on the same day of the calendar. It makes things less complicated, you know. And that's because most of us view time as linear, like a timeline. So events that happened way back in the past stay back there, right? <laughs> and events that are in the future are far off down the road. There are no points of intersection in a straight line. So any commemoration of a past event on a particular date is essentially an arbitrary thing. But Israel sees holidays in a completely different way than that. So for the Torah, time is cyclical, it's a cycle. And as time progresses, we move our way up a spiral staircase. And at each step along that road, we enter into the same coordinates along the y-axis. So we're actually coming into the same moment, but on a higher rung along the spiral. And this way of viewing time really opens up a completely different mode of experience because instead of relating to each moment as an isolated and disconnected piece, the seasons of our lives become a part of this universal choreography of every moment of time within the universe and how they align with one another. But the truth is, it's more than that. Because not only do times intersect along the spiral at different points, they also share the same characteristics. So certain phases of time share certain attributes to them. So we have a season of freedom, the Zman Cherutenu, that's, that's Pesach. And then we have a time of complete joy, Zman Simchatenu, and that's Sukkot, interestingly enough. So there are these nexus points within the spiral of time which are infused with an experience, and it's up to us to tune ourselves into the frequencies of time and discover those reverberations within our very own hearts. But there's one more layer to this. Time isn't just this cycle of experiences. Those nexus points, those coordinates that are rich with meaning, are also appointments with the Almighty. 
They are opportunities to encounter God through a new facet of experience, to channel our relationship with Him through a dedicated lens for accomplishing that goal unique to that time of the year. And so the word for a holiday in Hebrew is moed, which literally means a, a meeting or a designated location. And each moed manifests itself in our history through some major breakthrough event, but continues to ripple through every rung of the spiral of time. And each moed is another appointment we share with God, where we consider our lives and our relationships with God and other people from, from that new angle, from that new point of view. But that's enough time spent talking about time for now. What about Purim? What about this month of Adar? What's, what's the season? What's the vibe? So the rabbis say, and this is actually a midrash on Mishle, that even if all the rest of our holidays were to lose their splendor, their glory, Purim will never fade from our people. There's something timeless about Purim, something which reaches beyond the normal boundaries of what we're used to. And the Talmud Yerushalmi actually says the same thing about Megillat Esther, which tells the story of Purim, that even when the great day in our future will come, right, that our people will stand strong again in our homeland under a sovereign king, when the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem, and the exiles will be gathered back to our homeland, when in those times, the books of our prophets, as beautiful and as relevant as they are, will no longer hold that powerful potency and relevance the way that they do today, since we'll have already finally taken their guidance to heart and improved our ways and brought the redemption. In those awesome days, in that time, the book of Esther will still be as relevant as ever. So there's something really unique about Purim. And the truth is, we could spend a lifetime learning about Purim and really unpacking its depth. And actually, you will spend a lifetime doing that, as will all of us, because Purim is one of those mo'adim, one of those festivals which touches on some of the most profound aspects of our humanity, of our understanding of the universe, and how ultimately how God interfaces with our world and within our own personal lives. Now for today, I just want to share one idea with you about Purim, which really lies at the heart of the day. And if we can get ourselves tuned into this frequency on Purim, we'll open our own hearts to the power of Purim in an absolutely transformative way. Now I'll say, if, if you and I have ever spent the Purim together, then you probably already know this. But I want you to stick around with me anyways, because you know, just like I do, that this is something worth repeating, something really worth digging into each and every year. So there's this scene in the Megillah which flies in the face of everything we'd expect. And without getting into a whole summary of the story in the Megillah up to this point, suffice it to say that Esther, who's Mordechai's niece, has become the queen to King Ahasuerus, the king of Persia, and who has now issued a decree under the governor Haman's influence to wipe out the Jewish people. Esther is perfectly positioned to make a difference. But what can she realistically do? You see, there's this minor problem. It isn't 2021. It's the 5th century BCE. And walking in uninvited into an audience with the king gets you the death penalty. I mean, even if you are his beloved queen. So Esther is pretty paralyzed. And yet the clock is ticking. The decree is coming closer. So she's going back and forth, sending these messages to her uncle Mordechai, trying to explain to him that as much as she'd obviously love to do something, she can't just waltz into the king's castle and beg for the Jewish people to be spared. Now, at this point, Mordechai sends her a response, and this message rattles Esther to the core. She immediately changes her tune and throws herself into the mission. But what was it that Mordechai says to her? Well, if it was you or me talking to Esther, I can think of a couple things I'd probably say to her. My dear Esther, this is the moment to act, not to think, 
I mean, the Almighty has clearly orchestrated history to bring you into the castle, a Jewish girl as the queen, at the precise moment when we need a Jewish voice near the king. I mean, it's clear as day that your destiny calls upon you to strengthen your faith in God and do what must be done. This is the only way the Jewish people can be saved. And you have no choice but to act now. I think most of us would have come up with something similar to that. I mean, when someone's up against a wall and all the signs are pointing towards them as the last resort, we usually try to make them feel like their role is vital and that we can't do it without their help. But instead, Mordecai says something else entirely. And his words should be shocking to us. To hear from the mouth of one of the most forefront members of Israel's Supreme Court at the time, the words that he says to her. He says as follows, Esther, don't think for a second that by your not acting, you're going to slip away from the fate of the rest of your people. Don't think that just because you're out there in the palace, hidden safely away near the king, that you'll get away scot-free even if the rest of the nation gets massacred by this decree. That's not how this works. Actually, it's precisely the opposite, my dear Esther. And he says the following words to her. He says, Im tacharishi ba'et hazot, if you remain silent at this moment, then salvation and redemption will come to the Jewish people from somewhere else instead of from you. But while that's happening, while they're being redeemed, you and your father's home will be lost from our people. And who knows? I mean, who knows? Maybe it was just for this moment like this, that you, know, that you became the queen. I don't know. So talk about a Debbie Downer. Instead of getting Esther hyped about her unique opportunity to save the nation, her destiny, the, the role that Esther can play for the Jewish people's history, instead of that, Mordecai lets her know that actually she's dispensable. If you don't save the Jews, God will save them some other way. We don't need you. You just happen to be well positioned to do it in this situation. But don't get the wrong idea, Esther. And as for your destiny, it's not even so clear to me that this is the moment you became queen for. I mean, mi odea, who knows? And yet somehow Esther hears this and she is transformed. She immediately sends a message to Mordecai asking that he gather all the Jews in Shushan and begin a three-day fast. But not a fast for the Jewish people, a fast for Esther. Letsumu alai, she says, fast for me. Wait, Esther, didn't you just hear Mordecai told you? This isn't about you at all. I mean, it's about Jewish destiny. If you don't play a critical role and God will save the nation anyway, then why bother fasting? And why bother having them fast for you? And so my friends, this is the MS that I want to share with you for Purim this year. Mordecai told Esther the unbridled truth. And it was exactly what she needed to hear to unleash her greatest efforts into saving the Jewish people. Because one of the most powerful messages of Purim is that our people will always be under the watchful guidance of our loving Creator. As we say in davening every single night in the evening prayers, your love for us will never depart from us for all of time. And Rabbeinu Bachib and Asher actually makes this one of the themes of his essay on Purim in Karakemach, that all of existence is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's chesed, his loving kindness and sharing of that love with finite being. But that divine love doesn't prevent us from suffering. In fact, sometimes we need to face the brink of the abyss. We need to stare down death itself in order to turn around 
and reach the heights that we're truly capable of. But even those most difficult situations are also expressions of that love, as difficult as it might be to see while we're in those moments. And this is true of whether we're discussing the nation of Israel at large, as well as in our own personal lives. So how do we face that abyss and, and turn away and move upward? How do we confront the darkness and find our way towards the light? By listening to the life-changing advice that Mordechai gave Esther. Esther needed to know that we should never mistake our personal efforts for our people's results. But if the people will be saved regardless of what Esther does, then why should she bother going into Siachashverosh? And if she doesn't go in and the Jewish people are saved through some other means, then why does Esther and her father's household need to get wiped out as a result of that? And it's here that we come to the deepest depth of this conversation. It's the very fact that Israel will be saved regardless of what choices are made that makes Esther's own actions so much more personally meaningful. Because although Israel's existence is guaranteed, the how we get there part of things remains open to human choice. And that is what makes all the difference in the world. Because what it means is that instead of living in a world in which we're basically led like puppets towards the future created for us, instead we're the masters of our own destiny, choosing to play the parts which will fill in the artist's grand strokes across the canvas. We are partners with God in creating the world of our future. Rather than sitting back and letting God run the show, Mordechai tells Esther that it's moments like these which we've got to seize with more passion than ever before because it's these moments today which become part of our future tomorrow. Now, Mordechai wasn't naive. He understood perfectly well that there were risks involved in what Esther was going to do. He knew that there's no guarantee that these tactics are going to work out in Esther's favor either. But me, Yodea, who knows? Maybe it's the moments like these which make everything else worthwhile. And Esther also understood this. As she says to Mordechai right there at that moment, she says, If I am destroyed in the process of going into the king, then let it be so. I'm not blind enough to think that this is the only way that it's going to work out. Because there are risks in all the great moments of our lives. But if we're going to live with Purim beating in our chests, then we throw ourselves into those moments with everything we've got. We've got to look possibility in the eye and say, I'm going to ride this wave with every inch of power I have, because that is everything I've got. This chance, this moment. And so Mamela tells Esther to Mordechai, gather the Jews and tell them to fast, not for the Jewish people's sake, but for me. Because I can only do this if there's this such a gathering around my identity, if there's a strength of unity drawing in from my entire people into myself, it's only uvachen, like that, that I can come before the king, both before the king Achashverosh and ultimately in the presence of the Almighty. And so my dear brothers and sisters, I want to turn to you right now and I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that our lives are swamped with miodea moments because we live in times of Hester, of God's hiddenness. We live in times which, since the, the era of Esther, are sof kolanisim, a post-miraculous era. And we're constantly confronted with the doubts as to whether this is really our place to shine, whether we should act or stand down, take charge or be led, express our love or cover it up. And Mordechai's words need to ring in our ears during the time of Purim. 
we have the opportunity of a lifetime to go down in history as the ones who acted when others couldn't, the ones who cared when others wouldn't. And we can stand up bravely and say, you know what? I don't know why I wound up in this situation. I don't know why it makes sense that this is my family, this is my unique psychology, my personality, these are my circumstances, but I will not allow this moment to be squandered. I will not let this possibility to change the world, to change myself, go unutilized. I won't remain silent. I will make the difference that I can make, embracing the possibilities of my unique situation, and let that make all the difference in the world. Because although it's true that Israel's destiny is not in our own hands, the Almighty will take care of our people for all of time. But our own future and the lives of those around us that we affect very much is in our control. And it's only by rising to the call of the moment that we can achieve the eternality of Purim for our own lives. And as the prophet Shmuel says to King Shaul, when he made the choices which ultimately destroyed his own role in the kingship, you might be small in your own eyes, but you are a leader of our people. How many Esthers have there been throughout our history who saw themselves as too small, too insignificant to play a part? How many salvations, how many redemptions could there have been if people embraced the possibilities, the Miodea moments, and stood up to make the difference that they could make in their own lives? What contributions would there have been? What world would we be living in? What type of future could we be inhabiting today? Rosh Shivtei Yisrael Atta. Each one of us has a responsibility to ourselves and to our people to make the difference that we and only we can make. On Purim, we need to let go of our inhibitions, release ourselves from our posturing and all of our apprehensions and seize the opportunity of our lives themselves. And this is the whole idea behind the Su'uda of Purim, the idea of the idea of sometimes it takes a glass of wine, a little sip to loosen things up a little bit and really start seeing things from outside to unleash that power that exists within the core of each and every Jew. The understanding that we're created in the image of God, that we have endless power within ourselves. And when we can learn to let go, to feel comfortable, within our own skin, to recognize that the opportunities of our lives are just that, opportunities of our lives, we can finally embrace the power of Purim. And so I beg you, tap into that power. Seize the eternal day of Purim. Allow it to enrich your every moment of your life. And both you and our nation at large will be blessed eternally for it. May this be a Purim that leads us to a life of happiness, life of redemption, and a life in which we can look back and see that the Miodea moments of our lives, those moments filled with doubt, became the stepping stones to our greatest accomplishments. I'm Chaim Davies, and this is The Chaim Davies Show. See you all next time.